Thank you for joining us here at First Baptist Church of San Antonio, whether online or on broadcast, in your homes or wherever you may be. We want you to know that you are more than welcome to be a part of the life of this church. And we want you to know that we want you to meet Jesus today. In order for this to happen regularly, we need your support, we need your prayers, and we need your financial gifts. Please continue to give and be a part of what we do today. Let's turn our attention now to the reverse text for this week. We have been studying all week long together Luke 19 verses 11 through 27, and we're going to read that aloud together. Now, I know this is a lengthy text for us to read, but it is good for us to get the entire parable in. So, please stand with me, and let's read this text aloud together. This, then, is the text for today. While they were listening to these things, Jesus went on to tell a parable because he was near Jerusalem, and they supposed that the kingdom of God was going to appear immediately. So he said, a nobleman went down to a distant country to receive a kingdom for himself and then return. And he called ten of his slaves and gave them ten minas and said to them, Do business with this until I come back. But his citizens hated him and sent a delegation after him, saying, We do not want this man to reign over us. When he returned, after receiving the kingdom, he ordered that the slaves to whom he had given the money be called to him so that he might know what business they had done. The first appeared, saying, Master, your mina has made ten minas more. And he said to him, Well done, good slave. Because you have been faithful in a very little thing, you are to be in authority over ten cities." The second came, saying, Your mina, master, has made five minas. And he said to him also, And you are to be over five cities. Another came, saying, Master, here is your mina, which I kept put away in a handkerchief, for I was afraid of you, because you are an exacting man. You take up what you did not lay down, and you reap what you did not sow. He said to him, By your own words I will judge you, you worthless slave. Did you know that I am an exacting man, taking up what I did not lay down and reaping what I did not sow? Then why did you not put my money in the bank, and having come, I would have collected it with interest? Then he said to the bystanders, Take the mina away from him and give it to the one who has ten minas. And they said to him, Master, he has ten minas already. I tell you that to everyone who has, more shall be given. But from the one who does not have, even what he does have shall be taken away. But these enemies of mine, who did not want me to reign over them, bring them here and slay them in my presence. May God bless the reading of his word. Verse 11, the first verse of our text this week. They suppose. 
they suppose is kind of like they assume. Never assume, never suppose when it comes to Jesus Christ. See, the text tells us that they suppose some things about Jesus that they wanted to be true. There were crowds that had gathered in around Jesus. There were many who were coming and wanted to hear what Jesus had to say. And as they listened, their ears perked up. And many of them that had come in and encircled him in these days were starting to dream of a new political order. In fact, these crowds that had gathered around him could see it already. They could, they could see the new politics in action. They were already imagining this, this new kind of kingdom that Jesus would bring in. They could see the nasty Romans and their Jewish underlings being uprooted by Jesus, that Jesus would take them by their hair, pull them up, and throw them out of the country. They could see it. It was near. Jesus had all the charisma to walk into their Washington and run the place. It was enticing to all those who had never had the ability to challenge the Roman authorities. And so as they started to dream, Jesus was the one. They began to assume and they began to suppose that Jesus would be someone who could make all of their political ambitions come true right now. What we see in verse 11 is that this verse and this parable is bursting with politics. You see, even in just that first verse, it tells us Jesus is near Jerusalem. In fact, this is, this is the heart of Jewish political life. And Jesus is speaking of a new kingdom. And, and, and the leader of this new kingdom is just days away from climbing that mountain to the height of Jewish authority. You know, and even immediately after this, we see a similar kind of thing. Just, just after this parable, Jesus goes into Jerusalem. We see the, the triumphal entry where Jesus goes into Jerusalem on a colt with people literally shouting, Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord. And even this, Jesus goes in towards the politicians. And at the same time, he, he walks in the temple. So the next story that we see, he walks into the temple. He begins to flip over the tables as if a new leader has taken the reins. And you see this new leader, he's taken the reins of the political order in one hand, and he's taken the reins of the, the spiritual order in the other hand, and he, they're riding in tandem as a powerful, powerful new political foe. And all the eyes in the crowd begin to light up. All the political outsiders the followers of Jesus, even his disciples, they're, they're chomping at the bit. They're saying, this is it. We're, we're going to seize the day. We're going to seize the power. We are on the cusp of driving those God-forsaken Romans out of Israel. Jesus, and, and they, they were all just drooling at this point. Jesus, he's about to throw down the gauntlet and all of these politicians we hate are going to be thrown out. And then we can assume power. You see, their idea of Jesus was a valiant warrior. 
And this valiant warrior is riding into Jerusalem to slay their enemies so they could run the show. They wanted God to be a vehicle by which they would assume power from an occupying force. They were going to use God to establish all of their political ambitions. But Jesus wouldn't do it. You know, Jesus warns them all along the way. And even in this text for today, Jesus has been warning them that their idea of the kingdom of God was far too limited. In fact, as they were imagining the kingdom of God, they forgot about heaven and all they could see was the kinds of things humans do. All they could imagine were past political battles. And all they could see was Jesus being a force among their local political battles. See, what they supposed when it came down to it is that Jesus is going to take control of the country. Jesus is going to pick up a sling and a sword and ride the horses into town, clearing out the temple clearing out Jerusalem, clearing out all of Israel to reestablish Israel as the greatest nation in the world. This was their ambition. That's what they were hoping for. They couldn't see past their own noses. And do not think for a moment that these wayward dreams were the product of an ancient world. We live in this very same reality daily. The, the growing Christian deals with this reality within themselves where we have to sift through fleshly pursuits and, and we have to pray prayers of confession saying, Lord, forgive me where I am too limited. Forgive me where I am too short-sighted. Forgive me where I can't see your ways beyond my own ways. You know, there's not a single one of us in this church who's not attempted to use God as a vehicle to get what we want. And for that, we pray, Father, forgive us. And just like the disciples who, who asked for God to elevate them to his right hand and his left hand, we pray those same kind of prayers, God, raise me up to the heights of your kingdom. And for that, we say, Father, forgive us. You know, Jesus was speaking truth into their hearts and their lives. And he's speaking that same truth to us this morning. This is what Jesus was teaching them. Jesus saying, my kingdom is greater than anything that you can imagine. My kingdom is greater than your dreams. My kingdom is greater than your limited human imagination. My kingdom envelops the solar systems. My kingdom develops further than you can see. My kingdom's ranks are filled with faithful ones across generations, not just who are standing next to you today, but those who have stood for truth across history. My kingdom is beyond what you think is important today. But they couldn't see it. You see, Jesus wasn't going into Jerusalem to take political office. Jesus was going into Jerusalem to die. And they couldn't understand it. They couldn't process it. Why would Jesus be going to die? You see, Jesus, his kingdom is, is bigger than those of that day who were just shouting in the street. See, he, he was going to move beyond his disciples to a global movement of grace that would include us. 
You see, you know, I hear Christians, we sometimes say things like, well, I, I wish I was there. I, I wish I was there with Jesus waving palm branches when he rode into Jerusalem. Or, you know, I wish I was there. I wish I was warming myself by the fire next to Peter. And let me say, you are. Jesus' kingdom was not confined to that time and space. Je Jesus says, I am greater than those things. I'm greater than time and space itself. See, we're about those very same things now. It is Jesus' present kingdom, and in his present kingdom that we are celebrating his lordship and communing with those who love him. You know, it's interesting, these who were supposing, in verse 11, they were supposing their future, and we weren't in it. As they supposed their future, there was no room for you and I. We weren't allowed into their assumptions. They couldn't imagine a day and time such as this. But in the kingdom of God, there is room. And in the kingdom of God, the doors of heaven have flung, flung open wide in the body and blood of Jesus Christ. You see, Jesus was commissioned by God to expand the kingdom of God by conquering death through the resurrection. Jesus didn't come that day to conquer the Romans. He came to conquer death. Because if he would have only conquered the Romans, only those in that day would have lived. But as he came and conquered death, life has been brought to all of us across time, across history, to this church and to all the other churches that preach, preach Christ across this globe. His kingdom coming was for all of us. And it was beyond us so that we might be raised out of sinful death into new life in Jesus Christ. You see, Jesus' mission all along was to include you in his work and in his kingdom. Uh, these people in verse 11 that are supposing a new future, they didn't care one bit about you. But Jesus Christ did. And he opened the doors to you and said, welcome into the family of God. You see, Jesus' mission was to include you in his work in his kingdom. So much so that he ignored all of their suppositions. He ignored all of their cries. And instead of taking political office that day, he went to the cross and he died so that you could have life and have it abundantly. Now, it is to these that we're supposing, and it is to us when we assume, that Jesus tells this parable. And to those of us that assume that God's kingdom is something much smaller or much different, Jesus tells this parable. And in it, he's reminding us of a truth of the gospel. You see, throughout the gospel, we hear Jesus say something along the lines of, my kingdom is here, but my kingdom is not yet. Where he says, the kingdom of heaven is now, and at the same time, the kingdom of heaven is coming. Both of these things in tension are true at the same time, that we worship and experience our Lord Jesus Christ even today, but yet his kingdom is still coming in the days ahead. And when he's pointing ahead to this, this kingdom that is coming, he says, in the meantime, there is a specific kind of work for the Christian to be about. He says, in the meantime, you will be held responsible for how you use that which God has given you. And so he tells this parable. 
There are ten workers, ten slaves, and each of them are given a mina. Now, this is a relatively small amount of money, something maybe like $800. I mean, it's, it's hard to make conversions across history. Um, but for the sake of argument, this is something in the neighborhood of $800, $1,000, something like that. And so one of those slaves comes and says, your $800 has turned into 8000 the next one comes and says, your $800 is turned into 4000 The last one comes up and says, I know that you are very particular and exacting. And so I took your money and I buried it. Here's your $800 back. I didn't lose it. You know, it's interesting as he tells this story because the gospel works like this. This story, the gospel works more like money. The gospel grows when you put it to good use. You see, this is, this is a treasure, but that treasure language may be misleading. When we think about something valuable, often we want to tuck it away in safety deposit boxes. We hold on to valuables to protect them. But that's not the way the gospel works. As the gospel is shared and sown, it grows exponentially like a good investment. It's interesting, in the ancient world, there was a hesitancy to put money into banks. In fact, there was rabbinical teaching that said it was safer to take your money and put it into a vessel that you could bury in the ground and be kept only where you would know where it was. And in, in relation to this parable, uh, there was common rabbinical teaching that, more importantly, if you ever had to care for someone else's money, the best possible way for you to care for someone else's money was to put it in some sort of earthen vessel, close it up, bury it where only you could find it so that you know that their money would be protected. Now, the master in this parable turns that on its head and says, that which I have given you needs to be put to good use doesn't need to be protected. It doesn't need to be kept away, but it needs to be used and sown and grown. You see, the master in the parable expected a return for the money to be put to good use. And this is exactly what God expects of us. God expects that that which we have been given is put to good use for the sake of the kingdom of God. And one of those things, and maybe the most important of those things, is God has given you this story. God has given you the treasure of the gospel. This story is going to bless anybody that hears it. And if we communicate the story of the gospel, it will steadily grow in the hearts and minds of the hearers. And the more you use this story wisely, the greater the return on the story. Now, the story itself doesn't change or grow, but the effect of the story continues to rise through history. You know, one of the things that we need to consider about this parable is that, that God has saved you, and in, this, in your salvation, God imprints this gospel narrative onto your heart so that it becomes a part of you. And that part of you that God has branded into your being needs to be shared with everybody that's around you. You hold the story in your hand, the story that is written on your heart. What are you going to do with it? You know, many tuck it away as a classic only to be exposed at holidays or only be taken out when you're in dire straits. Sometimes people say this is to keep it from being overused. But for, for others, it's just a function of moving on. 
Let me say, God doesn't need for you to keep his story safe. There's no need for you to protect the story from anything, even overuse. This is a story that's meant to be used and shared. And when you're faithful to use and share the gospel, it will multiply. But more than the story, as a servant of Jesus Christ, we're called to use that which we have been given for the sake of the kingdom of God. We have resources, we have connections, we have influence, we have opportunities, we have our own salvation story, we have our house, our bank accounts, our points. And as the parable teaches, God's going to hold you accountable to how you use these things. Have you used them for the sake of the kingdom of God? Every way that we have been blessed, every good thing that we have is directly from heaven. And you're to use it for his kingdom, to share it, to expand it, to live in it. These things have been given to you so that you will live out the call to serve Jesus here on this earth. What has been given to you is not only for you, it is an asset for the kingdom. And so we don't think about our things as, as personal attachments or personal possessions. We might think about how we might use our house differently if it's an asset on the books of heaven rather than our personal property. You know, scripture teaches us we don't have personal property we have assets that have been distributed from heaven. And you will give an account to God how you use those assets. You know, I think sometimes, though, we, we read this parable and we think that our sole responsibility is to multiply the asset. You could hear this and think, well, God wants me to have a bigger house. But that's not what we're getting at here. It's not about a multiplying the worth. This, this is about how you utilize the assets for the sake of the gospel. It's about how you utilize the assets to, to disciple somebody that God has bring, brought across your path. It's interesting, you know, Jesus throughout his ministry, and, and you see this here in this parable, he says, you must be ready for the end. There's going to come a time when you're going to meet your maker. And when you meet him, you're going to have to examine your life with him and give an account of the time that you had on this earth. And Jesus says throughout the Gospels, be ready, be alert, be prepared for this. And so as believers, often where we begin with that is we see that as an opportunity to guess when he's going to come back. You know, people are always using wars and rumors of wars to predict when Jesus might come back. But then we're reminded of Jesus' words in Matthew 24, 36, where he says, not even I know the hour, only the Father in heaven knows the hour. And so when, when Jesus is telling us to, to be alert, it, it's usually our first response to grab the, the charts and the timelines and the astrological maps to see if we can solve the unsolvable puzzle. When, when Jesus says, let's move beyond those kinds of things. Because for most of us, that's not study. For most of us, that's just procrastination. Because we don't want to actually do the things that Jesus has called us to do. You see, what we see in Scripture is that there is a specific kind of work to be about for the sake of the kingdom. In fact, when we get to apocalyptic literature, we get to books like Revelation that talks about the end. There is a calling on the church. The five of the seven churches, he says, you need to be about this work. You need to repent. He says, churches, get on your knees and repent of that, those places and times where you have failed. 
He said, this is, this is a part of your preparation of being alert and getting ready as prayers of repentance. Why are you not on your knees, church, in confession, saying, Father, forgive me for where I have failed you? And what we see at the ascension of the Christ, he gave us work to do. And that work is about witness. That work is about discipling. When we see the call of the Christ, when he says, be alert, be ready, these are the kinds of things you find, repent and witness and disciple, that these are the things that your life is to be about. These are the things where your resources should begin to, to take shape. These are the kinds of things where you can see your resources multiply in the kingdom of God. If we will be about those things, the very specific things that Jesus has called us to do, there's no telling what kind of multiplication will happen among us in our assets, but more importantly, in the kingdom of God. If we will be faithful to Jesus to be repentant, if we'll be faithful to Jesus to witness, if we'll be faithful to Jesus in disciple, like he told us to, the results are beyond our imagination. Let's pray together. Our Lord God, we love you. And Lord, we know, Lord, there have been many days where we have fallen short of the calling that you've placed on our lives. But Lord, we pray that you would forgive us for those days. And Lord, we pray that today would not be like those days. We pray that today in your Holy Spirit, we would have the power to be faithful. Lord, that you would inspire us with your truth and your grace. And, and we would be the men and women that you've called us to be. Servants in the kingdom of God. Servants who bow to the Christ and say, I surrender to you. Servants who run about and do the master's bidding instead of our own. So Lord, we pray in your spirit you would help us to be faithful. It's in the name of our Lord and risen Savior Jesus Christ we pray. Amen.